Hey gang! Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is funded by Patreon. Join for early access to special bonus episodes and exclusive material, including the upcoming Scooby-Doo Book Club. Joining is the best way that you can be a part of shaping the material we produce, and we are super thankful to everyone who contributes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Corden, Matthew Bang, Blake Sawyer, Ashley Martinez, Dan Reed, Gabriel Pesek, Toj, Jade Core, Wynn Richport, Samuel Chesser, Bradford N. Smith, Page on Gaming, and Alicia Harper for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby Doo's or Scooby Don'ts, the original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby Doo media in search of those to Scooby Doo absolutely or Scooby Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Trading Chases. I was going to say, they are in your house right now. This is a dangerous opening. At first glance, um, I even wrote down the quote-unquote wrath of Sobek is going to be totally earned, isn't it? (laughs) Interesting, though, like, I will give it credit for the fact that Sobek is actually the villain and not a generic mummy. We, we have moved now into an era of enlightenment where we can actually take the Egyptian mythology and not just the wrapped up dead guys. I feel like with the wrapped up dead guys, there's almost a sense of less cultural appropriation because it's just like a, a monster. Right. Like a reanimated corpse just happens to be wrapped in some linen. Right. Like- found it in a tomb. You know, these things happen. But specifically calling out their gods? Ooh, you're you're getting into real is, iffy territory. Is that where? I don't know. Because it's ancient Egypt. I feel like because it's ancient, it's kind of okay. Is Am I just totally off base here? Yes and no. Right, okay. Because I mean, the ancient, ancient Egypt didn't turn into, like, modern-day Egypt, mm-hmm. like how ancient Greece kind of just became modern right. Greece, you know? They weren't, you know, it, they weren't all there in their robes, coming out of their bathhouses, and then someone drove by in a moped and was like, Go with the times! And then they all just did. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's probably a lot more, you know, war and suffering everywhere, but... <laughs> I mean, I th- I think the turnover of ancient Egypt into modern times is interesting, mm-hmm. and it's not something I often think about, because I, I often only think about ancient Egypt. Yeah. If I think about modern-day Egypt, I just get sad. It, yes. Like, 99% of women in that country will be sexually abused at some point in their lives. I mean, I feel like if you think about the modern any country for too long, you get sad. Like, if I think about America, that makes me very sad. What about Iceland? Still wonderful. Actually, I when I when I, if I really think about it, I just start thinking about Eurovision. Um, what were we talking about? We were talking about the fact that this villain is Sobek, 
And I, I was saying that it's a, at least a little more fresh than a mummy. Like, it's something new for Scooby-Doo, so that's interesting. And where I wrote down the wrath of Sobek is going to be totally earned, because at first glance here, these two guards are dipshits. The one is. Okay, okay yeah, most, mostly on the one. The white dude is a dipshit, and the black woman is understandably like, don't fucking touch that. Yeah, because if, if you are a security guard at a museum, you don't have the ability to, like... Open the cases and take shit out yeah. to finger it? Like, Grab no. exhibit. If I'm at the Louvre, I don't, like, hold the Mona Lisa in front of my face and go, booga booga. <laughs> Though, admittedly, it would be a story if I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That gets me on Wikipedia easy. <laughs> Not my own page, but certainly a subsection on the Mona Lisa. I don't know. I think dude that stole the Mona Lisa only to go booga booga could earn a <laughs> Wikipedia page himself. Maybe. I mean, you know Dream what? Dream big, Billy. You know what? I'm a white dude. It doesn't take a lot for me to get a Wikipedia page. That's a sad fact. <laughs> the uh, not what we're talking about. We're talking about trading chases. And here's the premise for it. Fred lets a museum tour guide lead the gang after he's fed up with being ignored. He then tries to lead a bunch of unmanageable kids. So very, uh, very Fred-heavy premise that we have here. Can we just get back to the, real quick, making Sobek like a, a villainous monster is a little bit offensive. Now, I'm, even though ancient Egyptians don't exist anymore, ancient Egyptians are very different from modern-day Egyptians, mm -hmm. I think it's still offensive because you never see the Greek gods and gods from white countries being turned yeah. into the monster. But if they were in the Amazon dealing with, like, a Mayan ancient god, oh, you better believe that would be the bad guy. Yeah, they've never run from Zeus, have they? So it feels a little racist in that regard. Well, I mean, I feel like, I mean, you know what they really need to do to clear it up is just make sure they have people in the room, like ha have some Egyptian writers in the room doing it. But again, ancient Egypt isn't modern Egypt. No one's still worshipping Sobek. So I get, yeah, it's it's a Muslim country now. I don't know it's, where it's I stand on this. Yeah, because like like Egyptian themed horror episodes, like that's woven into the DNA of of this kind of show. Like, it's, it's so fitting, it's so normal for them to stumble upon an Egyptian exhibit in a museum and have, and have to go through this. Interesting how the, the Egyptian monsters also always seem to be with museums. Well, that country then, has been pillaged to yeah, shit and back, so, yeah. like, yeah. Something to acknowledge. Also, something to acknowledge, because I normally do this and I completely forgot, location. This episode takes place in San Francisco. I was really hoping that we wouldn't have anywhere recognizable in this series so that we could just call it quits on fucking distance traveled well, again like we did at Crystal Cove. It, it was a commitment. And <sighs> that Golden Gate Bridge is fairly recognizable. Well, we've always used San Francisco. That's true. As the analog. That's so. true. Uh, which member of the gang would you like to start with? Because I know who I'm aiming for here. I have one note for everyone except Fred, of which I have three notes for. Uh, Obviously, I was not paying very close attention. Apparently not. I, I have quite a bit more for oh, most of them. Oh, for the love of God, Billy, I have to edit this 
we have to record and I have to edit it in one night. Let's not be here all night with all every- All right. So we'll, we'll get it out of the way. The member of the gang that I have the most notes for, let's start with the Jeff Jackter. Do you think that joke landed? I- I don't know if it landed because I don't know how often we actually say our category names anymore. So people might not understand that Jeff Jackter is a take on Fred Factor. Oh, it's a take, all right. It's a take. It's a bad one. Well. Jeff's in minor mentions. Oh, he's a member of the gang this week. The Shaggy and Scooby shenanigans. (laughs) I'm not not winning this one, listeners. Shaggy and Scooby, one note worth taking is that they pull the old, if I can't see them, they can't see me while they hide. Because they're just standing in the middle of a room with their eyes covered at one point. Yes, I do remember that. Um, That was actually part of a sequence that I absolutely loved. They were running, and you keep sort of getting these fake-outs of a bunch of hiding spots that they would be, but they're not actually there. Like, there are some potted plants that look like Shaggy and Scooby's silhouettes, but they are not behind them. My favorite of this being the lamps that are, for some reason, shaped like Shaggy and Scooby's bodies. (laughs) But the monster takes off the lampshades, and they're just regular lamps. Now, was that some sort of weird Art Deco display? They were in, like, the furniture area of what I will say is described as a natural history museum. (laughs) So not only are you not getting an Art Deco furniture section... You're not getting an Egyptian section either. That's not natural history. Could be uh, a- anthropology. But it's not technically natural history. Natural mm. history is just the bio- world. Bio. Yeah. You're going to go in there and there's going to be just a bunch of taxidermy bears and shit. Like, usually museums just dedicate a wing to that, mm-hmm. I feel. Like, any good museum has got a spattering of everything. Gotta have like, those dinosaur bones. Like the Well, that is natural history, Billy. Okay. Well, I just want to make sure we keep those, because that, as a child, when I dreamt of one day going to a museum, it was the dinosaur bones that I really wanted to see. I can't believe you never got to a museum as a child. No. I think the first time may have been with you. You have said this over and over and again I, w- I was in wonder at those dinosaur bones, and I'm like, this is the girl. She took me to a museum. I'm on board. Back when we left the apartment. But none of that anymore. No. A big conceit of this episode, obviously, is that Fred switches places with this Jeff character, uh, with Jeff becoming the new leader of the gang. And Fred says to the gang that they should listen to Jeff in the same way that they listen to him. And Shaggy replies, Aw, Fred thinks we listen to him. Which is so cutting down of Fred's position as the leader. I kind of did enjoy it. I hate everything that they did with every character in this episode more than I usually hate it. And it's because they're all so mean to my Fred. That makes sense. This is my Fred, damn it. I am. I'm okay with you hating it for that reason. And every other reason I've listed previous to this episode. It was was (laughs) interesting, though, to see a different track that could be taken with these characters. For instance, it doesn't require bribing Shaggy and Scooby to get them to go into danger. Jeff has them lead with what they know. He's like, you can sense danger and will run away at the first sign of it. You're the chickens in the coal mine. And they, they're they like, yeah, so as soon as we get scared, we're allowed to run away? 
All right, we're in. It was just, I don't know. It felt nice that they got to be acknowledged and it, they, we had their consent for this mystery. Okay, but this whole, like, chicken in the mine, canary in the mine, the canaries yeah. were not allowed to leave. They no, had to die. They did. I also noted that there was a fun horse chase on stationary horses. Got a giggle out of me. The Daphne Dilemma? She's taken up being a falconer. Yep. Falconry in this episode in a big bad way. Such a rich person's hobby. I was actually going to comment that maybe this Daphne doesn't have the wealth that other versions of Daphne had had. But if you're taking up falconry, that feels very high class to me. Maybe opposite end. Maybe she's a country gal who just grew up with falcons in the barn. But reads a little more wealth-oriented to me. She does ask, how much trouble could a loose falcon cause in a natural history museum? The answer? A lot. We hear several crashes off-screen. So I'll just... I'll just guess what the falcon broke for the property damage tab? Yeah, some items, I would say. <laughs> Maybe we'll look up, like, what an average exhibit in a, mu in a museum costs. Give anything else for Daphne? We that never have anything else to say for Daphne that was except her, much it. her stupid, I, quirky hobby that she gets every episode. Because, like, they literally give her nothing else to do besides quote-unquote quirkiness. There's only so far that's gonna take you. And so far it's taking her to the lowest standing Daphne I've ever seen. This seemed a little more low-key in this episode than some others. Really? Yeah, and like I... Like the falcon perched on her arm the whole yes, episode. Yes, and I don't know if that's true, but it's my gut instinct that I, I felt it was a little more low-key. I think she's had other hobbies that were more scene-stealing. Whereas this falcon, you know, it had some plot notes. Sure. The Velma Vision... She gets upset when she's called the tactless one. Uh, not a fan of that naming. Uh, I wrote that this episode opens with Velma sitting in the front seat with Fred, her boyfriend. I have decided. You have decided. <laughs> they are a team. And I think that might be why she is uh, not the biggest fan of Fred splitting apart the gang this week. She is something of an Egyptologist herself. Oh, please. As you might imagine. But with just enough distance to be disdainful to Egyptologists. Of course. Because there's a joke that all Egyptologists hate all other Egyptologists. Yeah. And of course, I mean, if Velma's going to say that she's a little bit Egyptologist herself, obviously she's going to have superiority complex over the other ones. Because that's just I a mean, joke, apparently. It's fitting for her to have the superiority complex, though. That feels right for the character. She also tries to open the tomb for herself at one point, because fuck the curse. Yeah. Well, I mean, a hundred thousand white people have already <laughs> raped Egypt. What's one more? It also feels a bit like, look, we're the Scooby gang. We've dealt with this. Let's just open up this tomb. There could be microbes in there. You do want to be careful of microbes. She just tries to pry it open. She is still scared of water in this episode. There's been some actual continuity of these random ideas that have come up. That Like, th there has been, you know, Fred's fear of widths is brought up later again. But in the chase sequence, uh, Velma's being dragged through the Arctic area of the museum by Daphne. But she's like, oh, no, water! Don't want to be here! 
My biggest question is why is this Arctic exhibit flooded? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not real water, okay? And it Just seemed some to wall be wall murals of icebergs. It seemed to be like this was where the patrons of the museum were supposed to go. Like, are you supposed to go wade through Arctic waters? That just seems not the best. Liability, that's for sure. Well, actually, this is a plumbing issue. Oh, this isn't supposed to be all wet. And then our boy, who takes it on the chin for most of this episode, the Fred Factor. Why, over the course of this episode, do they make the gang like Jeff more than Fred? What is the joke behind making us hate all the characters? This was interesting. This didn't make me hate Fred at all. No, no, what, no. What, this what is were... not about hating Fred. Right. This is about either you're with one half of the gang or you're with the other. And if, like, Fred is our favorite, so obviously we're on Fred's side. But that makes us hate four of the five members of the mystery gang for being such dicks to Fred. Whereas if, like, Shaggy's your favorite, then you're going to follow them over to that. And now you hate Fred and I hate you. What? The... My reasoning is I love Fred. <laughs> Lay off the boy. <laughs> I think what they did is they showed that Fred, as good as he is, as pure as he is, isn't necessarily making all the right choices in how to lead the gang. But that ultimately doesn't matter because Jeff has other qualities that are not Fred's qualities that make it better that we're with Fred. Like, it's sort it's sort of a... Like, a grass is always greener on the other side. You might think that this tactic is actually better when you try it out for one mystery. But, boy oh boy, I don't think I would have watched this show for 50 years if Jeff was here. And it is adorable to watch Fred try and lead a group of children into duplicating the Scooby gang. Okay, well, we'll get to the children very shortly. I just have to ask, like, why... Why do they think that, like, Fred's quote-unquote leadership ability is the only reason the rest of them hang around him? It's not. And that's the thing. They're all friends. And this yes. series doesn't seem to understand that they are friends, not just five random people thrown together via mystery happenstance. They like to be in each other's company. Mysteries are just like a byproduct of them always hanging out together. I actually wish that that had been hammered home here more. Because that would have been like a really nice note on the end where if it was like, yeah, Jeff is a better leader. He's not our friend. Like, we don't, we don't care that he's a better leader, Fred. We like you. Yeah, it's like working a job, right? Like, your boss can be a good leader, but they're not your fucking friend. Exactly. I think we all watched The Office and saw what happened. Right? Oh, that Michael. I don't know why you had to bring this to the office. I, you know what? When uh, capitalism is a fine enough example. Well, because of... he was always trying to be their friend. Yeah. Most bosses are, for nefarious purposes. Not Michael, though. He just wanted to be loved. Desperately. Earlier in this episode, the whole reason that they're here in San Francisco is that Fred wants to go on a guided tour on the history of mystery, solving... In this museum. It is a tour only for children, apparently. Is there an age limit on a tour group? I mean, surely Fred is still within his rights to follow them around and listen. Absolutely he is. I think maybe, it's not necessarily the guide itself, but it's sort of where in the museum it's taking place. Like, it's, it, maybe it's like a child-oriented event. 
still. It is really funny to me to watch Fred go on this tour. Because as a history of mystery solving, one of the segments is on the development of the teen mystery solving, like, subgenre of it. And Frank Welker was there. Like, Frank Welker is the part of the reason that this genre exists. I'm sorry. Did you forget Miss Nancy Drew and the I, Hardy Boys from I the did 1930s? Not. That's why I said part. Because that, like, they even said that the teenager was sort of brought up in the, in the 50s, and then after that is when, like, they're talking about the 60s teen detectives. I agree. Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, absolutely the root of the genre. Firmly rooted tree. But the sprout, that's Frank Welker. That's Hanna-Barbera. Okay, but it's you can't talk about the start of the teen mystery solver in the 50s and negate that they started in, like, the late 20s. Would I, the host of Nancy Drew's or Nancy Drones, ever forget that book genre? Seems possible. It, yeah. Yeah, I could. In a heartbeat. I forget a lot of stuff. Since you've never read a Nancy Drew book, I... I've read parts. <laughs> Fred calls the children, not children, but short people, because he believes in them. He does. That they, he doesn't he believe, them as youths. He believes that they are people, not just children. Shit. You know what would have been fucking great? Is if at the end of this, Fred, you know, he wasn't able to solve his mystery with the team. If Fred had actually said, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. At the children. Totally repurpose that line for Fred yelling at a bunch of eight-year-olds. Now can I talk about the Jeff Jackter? The minor mentions. <laughs> we start with the security guards. The, the black woman is fine. She's being perfectly respectful of the antiquities. The uh, white man named Matt is touching all the antiquities, though, and I think he should die. He, sh he should at very least be fired. Like, you got security cameras here. You have to know what he's doing. He he puts up the, the head of Sobek to his own face, and he just goes, boogity boogity. That's not even good scaring. You're going to risk your job for this poor excuse at scaring? Do security guards in museums really have to patrol the exhibits at night? I mean, in the modern era, yeah. who's trying to break into a museum? Well, I would also say... Nowadays, cameras do a lot of this work. Yes. If you're just... There's a lot of legwork via electronic security systems. Yeah, the security guards that you see walk, like walking around, I feel like they are mostly daytime security. Like, accost people as they come up. They're close to the action. But nighttime security, just watch the feed. Alright, you can talk about Jeff now. Jeff! Um, he is the tour guide at the History of Mystery... At first, I called him a bit of a sassy bitch, because he believed that mystery solving can be difficult without effective leadership. And Fred really took that to heart. What if you're a lone mystery solver, like Nancy Drew? Columbo. Like, occasionally Bess and George joined her, but I don't know if they really did that much. You wouldn't necessarily call her, like, like effective leadership of that team. No. She had emotional support. Um, but then, you know, as we see, Jeff does take over Mystery Incorporated. He starts by asking for Velma's opinion on how to start, which she does appreciate. 
He encourages Shaggy and Scooby because they're fine-tuned to recognize when danger appears. And he thinks what Daphne's doing is delightful. Wrong, wrong, and so fucking wrong. Asking Velma her opinion is a can of worms that you don't want to fucking open (laughs) most of the time. Fred Jones knows that. Telling Shaggy and Scooby that they can dick off and do whatever they want is not a game plan in any situation. And encouraging Daphne in her bullshit in this series (laughs) is only going to lead to heartache because now I have to find you and I have to murder you, Jeff. I have to do it. And, you know, I think some of that could have come to light of like those those decisions which seem good on paper are not necessarily the right way to go through. Like, for instance, they have a discussing clues scene, but it's done over lunch. You've got to be in like a hotel room or around a desk for that. And uh, at the end, he gets it totally wrong. Like the clues are leading up to this very obvious conclusion. This guy is a fucking nutter. Oh, yeah, that's what we realize, that he thinks that this this mystery has to do with, with barbers, uh, corn people, a plan to stop all wind on Earth, uh, the red, red leprechauns are involved, and he thinks the person behind the mask is going to be Mr. Peterson, his third grade teacher. Who told him he couldn't climb the invisible twin of Mount Everest... Named, like, Mountain McMountain Face or something stupid. Fox Mulder would look at Jeff and say, Are you okay, buddy? Are you doing all right? Well, there was a tongue-in-cheek to what Mulder suggested to be the truth. Whereas this guy clearly just loved the delicious taste of lead paint chips as a child. He's, yeah, it's, again, appearances are not what they seem. And he, he, he ends this episode. He escapes his own handcuffs because he, he becomes arrested for trying to assault the, the person that actually was the monster. Then he escapes his handcuffs, kidnaps the children that Fred was working with, and steals the mystery machine. Because he sees now that mystery solving is easy and that he can do it. Come along now, children. And what did he call it? It he was like to the Oh, I cannot recall. To the Jeff Mobile or something like that. And then we see the mystery machine drive by with Jeff in it. And here's the thing. Jeff yells Scooby Dooby Doo. Yeah. And here's a fun fact I didn't realize until I checked Scoobypedia. This is the first episode that ends with someone yelling Scooby Dooby Doo. <laughs> and it's Jeff. So Really? Yeah. I could have sworn there was something in the 80s. Where it was, like, Daphne and the boys, and, like, she yelled Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Oh, I am so sorry. I mean, be cool. Because many in many episodes, Scooby himself will yell Scooby-Dooby-Doo. But... Well, I meant someone other than yeah. Scooby. Yeah. No, no, no. This is just the first time in Be Cool that an episode ends that way. I guess they're not doing it that much anymore. But I look forward to seeing if Jeff and his band of stolen children pop up as a rival mystery-solving group at any point in the future. Now, just to jump back to Velma real quick, if she's so scared of water, how come she's hiding in the water feature when they're running from Sobek the first time? That is contained water in a non-natural environment. What really freaked her out about the Arctic exhibit was, like, the walls were painted like the outside, so she thought that she was out in nature again. She's scared of natural water. That's the scary water to Velma. Indoor water is scary to me. 
Don't get it twisted. Other minor mentions are Professors Hess and Salazar. They are feuding Egyptologists. Man believes in curses, the woman doesn't. They argue in hieroglyphics because they hate each other. But also, like, is it possibly some sexual tension between oh. the two of them that's making them so very angry at each other? Like, it, they're gonna end up fucking? There is a wild sexual tension between these two and all Egyptologists. <laughs> Like you know what? If you leave it, if you leave them to it for long enough, they're going to end in a very violent orgy. Because look, you're you are alone hmm? in a in a tomb, the sexiest place, <laughs> surrounded by jars of body parts, with lots of uh, pictures of people in various positions. That's what hieroglyphs are. So. I, it, and plus, Brendan Fraser, He's Rachel, not there. Rachel Weiss. They're not these, there. Any Egyptologist worth their salt owns a copy of the Mummy on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> worth their salt, you say? <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Clearly, no. I'm just. Tra- I'm just. I'm trying to play up sexy Egyptologist stuff, and then I remembered the Mummy, which is a very sexual film. So I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Very sexual. I think you're reading a lot hey, into it. Benny, <laughs> guess who's on the wrong side of the river? Oh, I am. <laughs> I am all sorts of something right now, but I'm not sure it's turned on. Well, then let's talk about children. Fred's gang of kids. Um, one of them, Duncan has low blood sugar. And so Fred calls him Little Shaggy. Because <laughs> he wants something to eat. And later he becomes scared. The blonde girl is my favorite. When she yells, Wee! I'm a detective! Yes. And Fred says, now there's more to mystery solving than yelling, Wee! I'm a detective. <laughs> I, it's I, a part of it, but it's not the main part of it. I love the scene where they go into a room and Fred's like, all right, let's investigate. And the kids all just run amok. It is adorable. I really like this sort of team leader, Fred. Because we've always said he has big camp counselor energy. (laughs) So like this pairing actually works quite a bit for me. I I enjoyed also, uh, he gave the brunette the other girl's glasses for her to go find clues with. Because she looked smart, she's the Velma. But she needed glasses, and so she just walks off not being able to see because her glasses are on. Yeah, the blonde girl's glasses come off, and she says, I can't see, and then he puts them on the brunette, and she says, no, I can't see. (laughs) You're welcome to take them off. You don't have to listen to this weird teen boy that's abducted you. But they're good kids, and honestly, at the end of this episode, I'm very worried about them. (laughs) <laughs> because they have left with Jeff. And surely their parents are around here somewhere. I don't understand why this tour group went into the night. How come It's no a one... long tour, right? <laughs> no one came looking for these kids. Oh, did you also enjoy when the, the blonde girl who Fred had assigned Daphne to got a pigeon? Instead of a falcon? Yeah. No. Why would I encourage Daphne's there's, nonsense to spread out? There's a later scene when, like... Both groups team up, and they're like, go! And both the pigeon and the falcon fly off somewhere, 
and I feel like the pigeon wouldn't be anywhere near that falcon. The pigeon would want to get right out of there. Well, the falcon was being attracted by, like, a taxidermied shrew or something. Uh, the pigeon would said, not care about meat, so I don't know why it attacks. Well, it just really hates Sobek. Also, just that that falcon is a natural predator. I don't want to. I don't want to team up with my predator. Uh, my last minor mention here is Dwayne, who is Daphne's falcon. I, I, That's I, a bad name for a falcon. You gotta give falcons a bitchin' name like Xerxes, yeah. Talon. Ta- Talon's a very good name for a falcon. As was Xerxes. I liked that. Was that spelled with an X? Yeah. Nice. Pretty sure that's how you spell actual King Xerxes' name. Zazu. That's another name. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and here's a, here's an, here's a, uh, another name. Sobek. That's the villain of this episode. Now, a big point of the warring Egyptologists was them unable to agree on Sobek's role in the pantheon mm-hmm. of Egyptian gods. That's pretty settled, isn't it? No, there is quite a bit of debate about Sobek. I don't know why. I guess because crocodiles are like an evil-looking animal. Right. But I, I mean, if you asked me personally, he is the protector of the Nile. Seems pretty good. I feel like they would want to create positive gods like that. But, uh, you know, Sovik to this day is described as having a fluid nature. Get it? Because he's in charge of the Nile. Oh, so perfect. So it's both. It's both things. It depends on how you feel about him having eaten Osiris's dead body. After Osiris was slayed by Set and left out in the desert and Sobek... I mean, the dude was already dead and Sobek has been described in that instance as so hungry he has to. Waste so not, want not. He's doing it for survival. He's a crocodile. What do you, what do you want from Sobek, guys? Let a crocodile eat some meat. What do you want from Sobek? Sobek looks like Sobek in this. An Egyptian god with a crocodile head? Yeah. They okay. don't have alligators over well, there. Well, that's the thing. That was actually... I really liked how that was a clue in here. That this Sobek actually did have an alligator head. And only Velma would know that. I feel like I'm already really sick of Velma being the only one that notices the mystery-solving clues. Well, because... uh, Other people have always found clues. Like, Velma has put some meaning to them. Like, I suppose here they pull back the curtain to the alligator display and Velma's just like, Where's an alligator head? It's missing. But I'm I'm so over-know-it-all, Velma. Well, I think that goes hand in hand with what they're doing with Daphne right now. Because uh, I think people underestimate how much Daphne actually contributes to the mysteries. So by putting her in this goof-around role, she is now contributing nothing to the mysteries. And Velma's doing it all. Why isn't Velma just solving a mystery on her own? Yeah. Like, Shaggy and Scooby are the comic relief. That is why one of them is a talking dog, guys. (laughs) Like, you don't need that role filled by three people. And then also a fourth person. Like, I feel like we're not to take Fred seriously here either. And if we're only taking Velma seriously, what is the point of the rest of them? Yeah, fun. But it's not fun! (laughs) (laughs) So, Beck, though. Um, 
What's this master criminal plan? It's Professor Salazar, though she knew that there was a golden statue in a sarcophagus and wanted the golden statue. <laughs> Who can blame her? Yeah. Big statue, made of gold, lots of money. Is this feasible? I say no, because the museum is going to have cameras. I say yes, because these be cool crimes are all pretty feasible. I mean, it's not like they're in space and someone is in a xenomorph robot. Okay, yes, you are right. Crawling around the outside of the moon. In that regard, it is much more feasible. She knows the security guards are always slacking off. Maybe she's got some sort of access to the servers that hold, like, all the stuff that's being recorded. Maybe this museum doesn't even have cameras. Right. Okay. You're, you're right. We are very much back to, I'm gonna dress as something. And that's my whole plan. To assume that every criminal would not do research beforehand is ridiculous. True, true. I, you're right. The cameras is a total assumption by me, so I can't put that against her. Is it a scary villain? Is Sobek scary? Eh, like a free. I don't know. I'm, I'm not impressed by really anything I've seen so far in this series. I mean, it is a big old crocodile head. Or Ale tech See, I'm getting confused now. Sobek is supposed to have a crocodile head. This Sobek has an alligator head. Yeah, well, just so just say that Sobek has a crocodile head. Who gives a shit that one of the this bitch had an alligator? Well, head? because I'm um, I'm not talking about Sobek the mythical deity. I'm talking about Sobek the costumed character in this episode. And do you find alligators more scary than crocodiles? There is no difference in my mind. Obviously, you keep confusing them. Oh, this is hard. I Jeff gets an eight because he kidnapped. Jeff children. is terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I won't rank Sobek. We're gonna rank Jeff. <laughs> Jeff gets an eight. <laughs> he is the villain of this episode. Um, general thoughts and feelings. I had started to write that the big Tyrannosaurus skeleton in the middle of the staircases reminded me a lot of the ROM and how they have that big uh, totem pole in that their one staircase. It was like a long neck and a T-Rex. It was, it was riffing on the T-Rex scene in Jurassic Park. It was. Well, it was after that. I first was just like, oh, I really like having a big exhibit next to a staircase because then I get to see up close all the height stuff. Well, get the dinosaur correct. It was a long neck. I, I apologize. Rexes aren't that tall. I, but yes, they are like the totem poles at the ROM. I, then I did say, I, I, when they get to the bottom, Sobek roars like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, and the banner slowly falls. So it's a huge riff on Jurassic Park. For those that don't know, I think we've mentioned it a few times by name throughout this episode, the ROM stands for the Royal Ontario Museum. It's in downtown Toronto. Yes, and I miss it. <laughs> I want to go to the ROM, want to go to the zoo, but you know what? Staying home, because... That's what everyone needs to do right now. Gee, Billy. Way to talk down to all of us that have I, to go I'm, out for work. <laughs> uh, well, no, for work, that's fine. I'm, I'm just, look, I, it's nice to people. I bet you're struggling too, but thank you for staying at home. We're all in this. I don't want to say we're all in this together. People say that and then they're bitches and I'm like, ah, oh, don't say that. <laughs> I did have one more general thought here. 
one of the kids at the end says, So the lesson is teamwork is good? I could have told you that, and I'm ten. What are you, fifty? Scooby-Doo was very close to being fifty at this point. And Frank Walker was about 70, I think, already, when he said, no, 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 I'm much younger than that. May he live 70 more. What do you think overall? Where, do, where, where does your verdict lie? Oh, Christ. I don't know. I don't like it. No, you don't. <laughs> I need to go against you because I loved the conceit of this episode. Stop calling it that. The, <laughs> this is what it was. The, pre uh... the premise... So I, I thought such a pretentious douche. I enjoyed Fred working with kids, and I enjoyed the the different versions of the gang, and then Jeff being an absolute three sixty at the end from what we expected. I enjoyed this episode. Uh, for me, it might so far be the Scooby Doo absolutely of the season. Overall, probably getting more of a Scooby Doo, but that that could get pumped up. The winning episode will get my Scooby-Doo absolutely. I guess... Uh, I'm so annoyed by everything this series does. The art style is not helping any of it. I don't like Jeff. I don't like kids. I don't like Daphne. I don't like that this Natural History Museum is a 1950s exhibit. Now, why do you have the history of mystery if it's a natural history museum? I've asked this like seven times already. <laughs> I'll be real nice. It's a neutral. It's a Scooby maybe. Okay. This is as high as I'm going. Th and that's for any of them. And that's under duress. I'll let you, I'll let you have the asterisk that it's under duress, and I will only take forty five minutes to say the word asterisk. Listeners, I don't know. <laughs> I always get so serious. Listeners, if you want to reach out to us, we can both be found online, especially on Twitter. I am at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia. And we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Deuce. All our old episodes are streaming on our WordPress, Tumblr, and YouTube, all under Scooby Doos or Scooby Don'ts. We have a Patreon page. I have my own personal YouTube channel under Fatal Amelia. And Instagram, if you're interested. I'm Fatal Amelia there. Billy's Billy Seaguire. It's mostly images of our cat. Yeah, who? And you may I'll... have heard in this episode, depending on how loud he was. Yeah. Our next episode is going to be Be Quiet, Scooby-Doo, which we will record fully in an ASMR environment. Oh, God, no. <laughs> ASMR is so creepy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crinkle some tissue paper. Ugh. I'm going to whisper to all of you so you get tucked right into your beds. No. No mouth-macking sounds. That's not comforting. That's disgusting. And on that note, that's it from Scooby Dooby Us. Scooby Dooby Oo! Think they had to get a new van, or did they eventually get. Did you think they had to replace the mystery machine? They, if Jeff the didn't give one, it back. The other one's MIA. Did they put out an APB? Did, did they have to, like. Was was there a high-speed chase? You can report car theft, Billy. That's not a crazy thing. No, but you'd, you'd got to get Jeff apprehended. I guess I want the van to be recovered, because then the kids get to go home. That would also be a good thing. <laughs>